This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? That was fun. Hey, um, let's pray. And uh, as we do that, I'm going to invite you, as I, I've done in the past, but um, I'm going to invite you, if you would, would you, would you pray for me also? Um, the, this Sunday, last year, I got a call um, that my mom had passed away. Um, and so coming into Advent this year is a mix of both joy and pain, as many of you can, uh, I'm sure, relate to. But the fact that Jesus reigns um, makes all the difference in the world. And so I'd invite you as we pray. Um, I'd actually not invite you. I'd ask you, would you pray for me as well? Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we thank you for uh, the abundant blessing that you showered down on us. And Lord, would you, uh, during this season, this time, this year, would you focus our minds and our hearts on your manger that became a throne? And Lord, we invite you, would you work in us, would you stir in us, would you move in us, that we might become more like Jesus for our joy and for the glory of your beautiful name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, a number of years ago, I was trying to be helpful and, and help with the Christmas setup process at our house. We had been gifted um, a quote-unquote beautiful fake tree um, from some friends. And anybody, anybody else want to boldly admit that they're part of the fake tree crew? Okay. Oh, good. Look at all of us green fellows out there. Yes. So um, our friends gave us this tree, and it was an eight-foot-tall, according to the picture on the box, very full, very real-looking tree. And I was doing my part. Kelly was out shopping. I was doing my part in setting up said tree. Now, it was one of those trees that doesn't just pop out of the box, fold down, and look good. It was one of those trees that you had four different poles that set up to eight feet tall um, that didn't have any branches on it. The branches came separately. You had to grab the branches that had a little hook on them, match them up with the color of the place they were supposed to go so you had the right size, right? Match them up with the right color and put them in said little hook. Now, way above my pay grade, okay? So I get these poles out, and I'm looking at this pole. I'm going, we could celebrate Festivus, you know? Like, um, okay, we're not, we're not doing that, though. So I start to assemble said tree. And I'm looking, and the colors don't match up exactly right, but I'm like, this is old, and I write it off just for being old. And it's, we don't have enough branches, but I write that off because the fact that it was a secondhand tree given to us by some friends. And so I do my best. The tree is um, a, a few feet in diameter when I'm done with it. Um, it goes all the way up to the top, but I could hug this tree, eight feet tall, and I could give it a hug and not touch any of the branches on it. But it was done. (laughs) And so I have this like eight foot tall Charlie Brown tree and my wife comes back in and she's like, oh, isn't that cute? (laughs) You know, like, Ryan, that's um, great. But did you know there's a whole another box (laughs) of branches that go on the bottom half (laughs) of that tree? 
I'm like, oh, I knew there was something missing, right? So I'm looking at this tree going, it doesn't quite fit, but it's what I got. So we're going to roll with it. And, and here's what she said. There's this, there's this whole nother box that might make the tree look a lot more like it's supposed to look. Here's what I want to propose to you. I want to propose to you that our picture of Christmas, I think, looks a lot like that tree. I think it's got the shape, it's got the form, but it's just not full. It's not the way that I think it looks, at least from Scripture. The way I read it in Scripture, it looks a lot different than the tree we often put up. There's some things that I think are missing, and my goal this Christmas is just to go and to get that other box and to bring it out and put it on the table and open it up and say, well, what if we put the rest of the branches on the tree? What might it look like? The great Christmas carols got me thinking about this actually last year. They, they all seem to make this central declaration that for some reason, I don't know why, but for some reason, we, we seem to have lost. I have some assumptions, and I'll share those, and they're simply just that. But they make these declarations, these um, promises, these claims that for some reason, I think, are lost. Listen to some of the claims the great carols of this time of year make. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn, right. Then let us all with one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord that hath made heaven and earth of naught, out of nothing, and with his blood mankind hath bought. Noel, 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 born is the of Israel. Come to Bethlehem and see. Christ, whose birth the angels sing, come adore on bended knee. Christ the Lord, the newborn. There's a, there's a theme. <laughs> this, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, to bring him praise. The babe, the baby, the son of Mary. This is a great one. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful. See, see the faithful are joyful. Isn't that, isn't that a great declaration? That's a, this is for free this morning. But isn't that a great Christmas declaration? Those who live faithful to Jesus live joyful with Jesus. That'll preach. Come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. <laughs> Let every heart prepare him room. What a great invitation. That's very different than the Christmas story I'd grown to know. Um, in many ways, my Christmas story was um, a little bit bare, had, had a few less branches. My Christmas story was that this baby was born in a manger, eventually going to die for my personal private sin, which is true, but horribly incomplete. It would be like looking at the tree that I set up and going, well, it is, it is a tree, it just looks way different than the way it looks on the box. 
You see, here's what the Christmas carols get right, is that we don't just celebrate a baby born to die for personal sin, but we celebrate a king coming to reign. This, my friends, is very, very different. So let me go back to, because I think it's important, and so today is going to be a lot of setting the context, the story, which we're going to enter into over the next few weeks. But let me go back to the bigger story that this Christmas story finds itself in. It's the story that God is telling, and the story he's telling in the scriptures, we start off in Genesis 1 and 2, God graciously, sovereignly, benevolently reigns over his universe. That lasts two chapters before Adam and Eve say, and here's what God does. God creates, God reigns, God rules, and he gives people their little portion that they get um, dominion over. And they say back to God, you know what, God? That little portion's great and all, but we want the whole thing. You're not doing a great job up there as king, as ruler. And so, you know what? We're going to sort of take over from here. Thank you very much. And so, in chapter 3 of the Bible, which is, um, in case you're unfamiliar, like right here, humanity says, God, we don't think you make a great king. We call this sin, but but it's simply dethroning God from his rightful place. In Genesis chapter 12, so move forward, fast forward 12 chapters, God picks one family, one man, his name's Abraham, and he says to him, all right, instead of working through um, the entire world, I'm going to work through you, and I'm going to be your king, and I'm going to rule over you, and your little family is going to be a blessing to the entire world world. And it goes on for centuries and centuries where we have these rulers that are patriarchs. They're the the male heads of the families. We have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We move into a season of Israel where where there's um, what we call judges. These are 12, really 12 people that are appointed for a specific task, usually to lead an army to put out a threat, but, but really God is still reigning through his commands, through his people, through his judges. He's, he's really reigning over these people. So his project of recreation is starting to happen. Until we come to this place in 1 Samuel, if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8 with me. Where the nation of Israel, God's God's little plan to to reign and to redeem, to bring creation back into its rightful place, the nation of Israel says this back to God. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, so here's what the nation of Israel says, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say, for they haven't rejected you. Here's what the people are doing. They're rejecting, not you, God says to Samuel, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Here's what God says. I had a system where I ruled over the people, but they said no thanks to me. And so... God gives them a king, lowercase k. 
They have. You ready for this? Over the course of the history of Israel, now this is um, in the two kingdoms, which is um, more, in, more, more information than I have time to go into today, but in the two kingdoms, here's what they have. They have, over the course of their history, 43 different kings. Seven of them are good kings. Now, I'm not a mathematician, I'm a pastor, okay? Admit it. But that's not a great percentage, huh? I mean, if we're betting people, we're not betting on a good king, right? Seven good kings, five that did some good, some evil, and 31 of them that were terrible. Now, their declaration, if we look at this now, now hindsight 2020, right? But anytime God sets up a system of doing things, I think I'm just going to throw it out there, and I'm biased, I'm a pastor. It's best to go with God. They say we want a king. God says, okay, 31 kings let them down, fail them horribly. And in the midst of all of this, we have this one king, one of the seven good ones. His name was David. And in the midst of all of this chaos and all of this failure and all of this evil and this idolatry, God makes this beautiful promise to one of his kings. Here's what he says in 2 Samuel chapter 7. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. Um, that's the Bible's way of saying when you die, I will raise up from your offspring after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. So someone's coming after you, David. Someone's coming after you, and and he's going to reign. He's going to have a kingdom. He's going to be a king, and it's not going to be he that establishes this kingdom. It's going to be me, God says. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. How long? Forever. Forever. So you had in the midst of these failing kings a promise. A promise of a king that would come and would reign, not just for um, a, a temporal time, but would come and would reign forever. Can you imagine the anticipation that starts to build? I mean, as a kid, you remember waiting for Christmas, right? Some of us made those little silly chains, and now I'm realizing as a parent, that's just so you don't have to answer the question, is it Christmas yet? Okay? Is it Christmas yet? Go look at the chain. Still links in the chain? Uh Uh-huh. It means it's not. Okay? Now, when you ask me tomorrow, same thing. Go look at the chain, right? Okay. So, it's this anticipation that builds over centuries. Could this be the king? Could this be the one who God will establish his throne forever? Well, on top of that, you have the prophets who start to write about these great days that are on the horizon in the midst of a terrible existence. They write things like, for to us a child is born. And to us, the son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And thanks to Handel, we know this prophecy. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to what he follows with. And of the increase of his government 
and of his peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. Here's what he's saying. That what's going to start small is going to remain forever, not small, but is going to continue to grow. Who's going to do this? The Lord of hosts will do this. Okay, so, so we need to wrestle with the question. Is Isaiah talking about Jesus? I've read all sorts of crazy commentaries that, that may say, that say, well, I'm not really sure. Not really sure. And we, we, don't, we don't, is Isaiah talking about Jesus? Yes! <laughs> he is. Now the reason we want to push back and go, well, I'm not sure, is because of what Isaiah says. That Jesus is going to set up his reign and his throne and it's going to be eternal, which is a long time. Yes? And if Jesus came and set up his throne and it's eternal forever, says it twice, that must mean that Jesus not only reigned and will reign, which we're really comfortable with, right? We're going, oh, Jesus will reign someday. Yes and amen. Except the only problem with that is scripture. Because scripture's affirmation is Jesus not will reign, but does reign. He'll set up his kingdom, right? From this time forth and forevermore, which last time I checked includes now. So there's this tension that starts to build, right? There's this tension that starts to build that the further Israel gets away from David, the further Israel goes into exile. And that was what was happening when these prophets were writing is they were just getting absolutely destroyed. This promise of a coming king seemed about as far away as the Raiders winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> just to put it in our context. They're going, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, we're, we're not only um, apostate, we're in exile, we're eventually going to be under the Roman rule. There's no way, God, that you could actually come as a king and reign. Come on. Absolutely crazy. And it's into this situation, this hope, that Matthew writes his gospel that all the gospel writers write their gospel, their story of the life of Jesus. But let me just read you the opening line of Matthew. Maybe we'll see it with a little bit of a new sense of what Matthew's trying to do here. Oops. Matthew chapter 1, I deleted it, I apologize. Matthew chapter 1, it says, The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of David, so here's what he's going to do. He's connecting us to the story. The son of David, the son of Abraham. So he's pointing us back to, here's the story we're stepping into. We're stepping into the story of a people who are waiting for, 
Not necessarily a savior from their personal sins. They're waiting for a king. In fact, when Matthew says the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. You do know that, right? Some of you are going, what? It's not. Of Nazareth is actually his last name. Jesus of Nazareth, right? I didn't think that was going to go over as well as it did. I'm really... Let's close in prayer. I mean, I can't... Here's what what Christ means. Christ means um, um, Messiah, which means Savior, but, but it also means anointed. Now, don't, 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 don't go to, don't think uh, an anointed speaker, an anointed worship leader, an anointed song. Don't think oil pouring down on somebody's head declaring that one day they'll sit on the throne. Every time you read the word Christ in the Bible, you could replace it with king. The book of the genealogy of Jesus, the king. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Fast forward, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. It says, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea and the the days of King Herod, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born, what? King of the Jews. For we saw the star that rose and we've come to worship him. Flip over to Luke chapter 1. Um, if you think I'm berating this point, you're right. I just need to because I feel like we've missed it. Okay? Right. Let me only say it like this. I, I need to because I feel like I missed it. Gabriel speaking to Mary, telling her of the fact that she's pregnant as a virgin says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua. And he will be called Son of the Most High. Now, just a quick time out. We, we love to talk about Jesus as the Son of God, rightfully so. It points out his divinity and, and, and I'm all about that. But I think modernity has gotten caught in this. We need to prove that and we need to defend that and it stops us from getting to where his divinity, his sonship actually leads him to, which Gabriel announces next. He will be great, he will be called Son of the Most High and the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. And his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. Do we live under the reign of Jesus now? Oh yeah. Oh yes, we do. We live under the benevolent, gracious, glorious reign of King Jesus. Now, because just like Gabriel says to Mary, that this baby you're carrying in your belly, God's going to give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there's going to be no end. We live under that No end clause. So can I 
submit to you that maybe what I was taught for a long time is, is, is wrong. See, I was taught that Jesus is going to reign at his second coming, which make no mistake about it, he will. He will. But not only then, at least according to our scriptures, Jesus will reign then, and Jesus does reign now. So can I submit to you that the hope of Christmas, as we enter into this Advent season, the hope of Christmas is ultimately not about a baby who's born and lying in a manger, although that does tell us something about God. I make um, no bones about it. That is huge. But I don't think it's the ultimate hope of Christmas, at least according to the Gospels. The ultimate hope of Christmas isn't about a baby who's born in a manger. It's about a king who comes to reign. That's the hope of Christmas. And you see, I think this is so important because if we don't recognize, hear me on this, please. If we don't recognize Jesus as king, we reduce him to being a savior, which is, which is what he is and who he is, but it's like setting up the tree and only using half of the branches, okay? If we don't recognize him as king and only recognize him as a savior who guarantees our reservation in heaven, and really, then we just use him to endorse our own personal um, projects of the way we make the world better. We do not live under his gracious rule. And I think because, and, and like I said, this is true, like the tree, it's true, it's just incomplete. But because we live in a subculture of American evangelicalism, where Jesus is savior of our private soul, we often remain unconvinced about his ideas to redeem the world. And this is a little baby, born in a manger, was coming to sit on the throne of his father David, to reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. So let earth receive her king. He has come. I think a lot of sort of um, people who follow Jesus are waiting in the proverbial waiting room of the restaurant where their name's being called over and over and over again and we just keep sitting there waiting. I fear that we're waiting for something that Scripture says has already come. Friends, don't wait on something the Bible says is already here. I love the way that N.T. Wright puts this in his great book, How God Became King. I would recommend it as some supplemental Advent reading. Here's what he says. He says, the whole point of the Gospels is to tell us the story of how God became king on earth as it is in heaven. Well, if that's true, and I'd obviously submit that it is, we printed a pretty large banner with those words on it. 
we should expect Jesus to affirm this, yes? Okay, so here's where we're going to go. Skip with me over to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, Jesus is on trial, and in this place, he's before Pilate, a Roman ruler, and Pilate asks him a pretty direct, simple question. Jesus gives a little bit of a slippery answer to, but an answer nonetheless. Verse 33 of chapter 18, it says, and so Pilate entered his headquarters, and he called Jesus, and he said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, just a quick time out. You know that Jesus did not get killed because he was a forgiver of sins. He got killed because he claimed to be king. Listen. Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or do others say this about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? He's like, Listen, this isn't my jurisdiction here. This isn't my idea. These are your own people. Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, okay, follow him. My kingdom is not of this world. Okay, so, so here's what a lot of us are doing. Okay, phew, Paulson. So now you're gonna, you're gonna redirect us, right, to Jesus's kingship is over some spiritual, ethereal dynamic, not over the real world. Well, actually, that's um, a first century heresy called Gnosticism. We don't really want to go there, okay? Listen to what he says. Of this world, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting Okay, so here's what he goes. He goes, hey, the world's kingdoms, they operate in a certain way. My kingdom doesn't operate in that way. Jesus isn't saying that his kingdom has no bearing on this world. The throne that's set up is the throne of David. It was a earthly, worldly throne. Here's what he's saying. My kingdom doesn't operate in the same way that your world's kingdoms do. My kingdom doesn't operate on power. My kingdom doesn't operate on violence. My kingdom doesn't operate on oppressing some to take from them to feed my own desires. That's not the way my kingdom operates. You could read it. My kingdom is not from this world just as easily in the Greek. My kingdom is totally different, so different that you're going to miss the king you've hoped for and prayed for for years, centuries. My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this or not from this world. That's an interesting distinction. And Pilate said to him, so you, um, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. I, I wrote too much in my Bible around this spot. It looked like, so you are asking. <laughs> no. So you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. And I, for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Now, he's not saying to bear witness to some scientific, objective reality. Not what he's saying. The truth. He is, in fact, says it himself. In, in front of Caiaphas, he says, 
I tell you, from now on, now this is 2,000 years ago, so we fall under the category of for now on, right? From now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. From now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. And this will mess with some of our eschatologies, but that's okay. I'm an equal opportunity offender today. And coming. From now on, you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus' words, not mine. If you're angry, get mad at him, not me. And send him your emails too. Jesus of Nazareth at gmail.com, I'm sure. It will get there. Wow. I think for so long I was looking at this Christmas tree that just seemed bare. It seemed like something was missing. It lacked the power. It lacked the punch that I felt like the Gospels were telling. And for me, this was that missing piece to the puzzle that Christmas isn't necessarily the power of Christmas, the hope of Christmas, the promise of Christmas does not end with a baby born in a manger, but a king who sits on the throne. The question is, if he reigns over the universe, if he right now, as Matthew declares, sits at the right hand of power and is coming on the clouds of heaven, if that's his current reality, what does it mean for our lives today? You see, because I can get some warm fuzzies from a baby in a manger. But a king on a throne, that demands something from me. That demands that you and I either say, we bow with the rest of creation, and we hail you, and we declare you as king, or we'll find our ruler, we'll find our Christ somewhere else. No in between. Let me invite you. I, I want to end by just trying to paint a picture of the benevolent reign of this King Jesus. See, because I, Isaiah talked about it a little bit. Here's what he said. He said, for to us a child is born. We know now his name is Jesus. A son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. It's a government that doesn't look like the way we think government should look. So much so that they missed him and so much so that they killed him. So the biggest question I get about the kingdom of God, about Jesus reigning, is why does the world look the way it does? Right? Right? Just a few nods. Right. And it's the same question the Jews asked. Isn't it? If you reign, Jesus, why does the world look the way it does? We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. I just want to affirm to you that the scriptures declare he reigns, one. Two, that the Jews who were hoping this, for this for millennia missed it because the kingdom didn't look the way that they thought it should look. And three, I think that we've fallen into the same trap. It's easier instead, instead of really doing the hard work of looking at what does scripture say, 
It's easier to say, we think it should look like this, and it doesn't. Therefore, Jesus must not reign. Not true. Not true at all. Let me point out to you what the nature of his reign will be. It's a reign characterized by him being a wonderful counselor. This is the way your king reigns. Unlike any other king, he says, I'm wise. Not only that, but I care. Like a good counselor where you you sit on their couch and they start to unpack for you reality. They start to unpack for you joy. They start to, um, when Kelly and I were going through a really difficult season in our marriage back in 2006, we had just experienced a tragedy together and we were going in opposite directions. And we put up the white flag and we said, all right, we've got to do something for our marriage to survive. And so we went and we found a a great counselor. And I can remember nothing that the counselor said. But I can remember this. I can remember walking out of their office, her office, and thinking, there's hope. There's hope. That's the way Jesus reigns. He enters in. He discerns what's going on. He doesn't shirk reality. He steps into it and he declares there is hope. This is the way he reigns. Maybe if you're going through something difficult this Christmas season, uh, can I invite you, run to the king. Wonderful counselor. Run to him. I mean, don't do a Facebook survey. What do you guys think about? They don't know. And I respond to some of those things. I don't know. But he knows. So James says, hey, ask him. You need wisdom? Ask him. Second, here's the way he reigns. Mighty God. This capable power. He's able to do far more abundantly all that he could ever ask, think, dream, or imagine. In contrast to the other kings who lived by, many of them, a whim and a hope and often a misguided trust because of their lack of power, King Jesus says, I've got the whole world in my hands. You think your crisis is too big for me? It's not. It's not. So Mary's Christmas declaration is nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. And and she's pregnant as a virgin, so she should know. But you see, all the other kings, here's the way they rule. They, they, They use their power, the power that they have to lord over people to get things from people. And Jesus uses his power to work within people, for people, for their good. That's how he leverages his power. And that's the way he does in your life too. So if, if the word that went along with wonderful counselor was, was hope and was wisdom, the words that go along with this capable power are freedom. Freedom. Listen to the way that Paul writes about this king's reign. Here's what he says. He's delivered us from the dominion of darkness, the the realm of darkness, and he's transferred us into the what? There it is. I'm telling you, once you see it, it's everywhere. 
It's harder to ignore, sorry. He's transferred us into the kingdom, as in you and I are in the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here's the way the king reigns over you. He reigns over you by saying, all that shame you walked in with, that guilt you walked in with, the hopelessness you walked in with, the narrative you've been telling yourself over and over and over. He says, will you let me reign over that? Because here's what I've done. I've transferred you. You're no longer who you were. You're who you are now. And I've transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, my kingdom, the kingdom of the beloved son, Jesus, who reigns over that kingdom, by the way. See, I think this is part of losing the perspective of Jesus' kingship. If you only think about Jesus as a baby in a manger, you'll never get to a king on a throne. The baby in a manger can assure you that God loves you, which I agree and affirm is important, but it's not complete. The baby in a manger can affirm to you that God loves you, but the king on the throne frees you as you live under his reign. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, I'm phrasing this tenacious love. That's the way your king reigns over you. Where he goes, I love you enough to not let you make that stupid decision. We call that discipline, right? Good, good dads do that. Dads, look up at me for a second. Good dads do that. Okay? He says, I love you enough to not allow you to go down that path. So I'm going to recorrect you. This way. This way. Tenacious love. It means that he shows up at the games or the plays or the recitals. I I love this Bo Jackson quote that I saw in 1995. I didn't see it then. I saw it later, but it just seared a piece of my heart because I just, I I longed to be this kind of dad. I had this kind of dad, and, and Jesus is this kind of dad. He says this. He says, my father has never seen me play football or baseball, and at the time, he was like probably the best in the world. Argue, but even though he played for the Raiders, it's hard to say, but <laughs> never saw me play a football game or a baseball game. Can you imagine? Here I am, Bo Jackson, one of the premier athletes in the country, and I'm sitting in the locker room envying every one of my teammates whose dad would come in and talk, have a beer with him after the game. He says, I never experienced that. Wow. And here, Isaiah this promise, this prophecy of Jesus. He goes, hey, he's this this everlasting father with this tenacious love where he goes, I will not leave you. Regardless of how far you go, you're never far enough away that I do not run to you and welcome you home. And I show up and I provide and I protect because I reign. Finally, this pervasive peace. way Jesus reigns with this peace with this rest just picture 
cold winter night with the snow falling. That scene like you see behind you. With the snow falling. Just quiet, still. And he goes, that's, that's my reign. That's the way I reign. That's what it feels like when I reign. If your picture of Jesus doesn't look like peace, it isn't a picture of Jesus. He's the prince of it. In fact, in fact, in John chapter 20, after his resurrection, as he's inaugurating this new system, this new world, it says this, John chapter 20. This is one of the first things he says to his disciples. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where only the disciple, where the disciples were for fears of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them. This is like he walks through the wall, right? And here's his declaration. Peace be with you. Not, can you guys believe I conquered death? Not, you're forgiven of your sin. Not, wasn't that awesome? I mean, all of which would be very appropriate. Peace be with you. And when he'd said this, he showed him his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Verse 21. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Here's his declaration. The king has already conquered the only enemy worth fighting. So live under his rule and his peace. And ironically, he conquered that enemy not by killing him, but by being ill. As if to say, the way of this king's reign is love, peace, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And this king reigns Today, right now, Jesus is Lord. Today, right now, for real, Jesus is Lord. It was the mantra, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. It was the mantra that got the early Christians um, lathered up in tar, put on a pole, and lit on fire to light up the Caesar's dinner parties. Why? Because it threatened Caesar. A personal savior of sin does not threaten in Roman Empire. They go, bravo, that's great for you. But that wasn't their declaration. Their declaration was Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. And if Jesus is king, Caesar, you're not. More on that next week. So in 1719, Isaac Watts penned the great words to this beautiful hymn. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Heaven and nature sing. See, here's what Watts points out for you and for I. This king who comes and who reigns must be received. He will not force his reign on you. 
He didn't force it on Adam and Eve in the garden. He won't force it on you. So may I invite you, receive your king. Allow him to reign. Ask him what he thinks this holiday season should look like for you. He's got some ideas. He's king of the world. And may I invite you to surrender to the beautiful, benevolent reign of this king and find the true reason for this season. Let's pray. Oh, joy to the world. Because Jesus, you came. So, we receive you as king. Would you help us as your people who long to live in your kingdom under your beautiful, glorious, gracious reign, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Would you allow us as your people to live under your reign? That you would be our king, not just our savior, but our king and our Lord. That our lives would be found under you, under what you think they should look like. Lord, help us this season to surrender to the baby in the manger, born king of the world. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.